Hello and welcome to the Brothers F Bookcast. I'm here with my brother Diego, and we today we are discussing a, another uh, Spanish language uh, work of literature. Uh, this time, a short story by Borges called uh, "La Muerte y la Brujola," uh, which is translated into uh, "Death and the Compass." So, what? Diego, is your initial reaction to this story? Yeah. Um, so Francisco and I, before we could get off, were kind of discussing a few points. And uh, he noted that he had read another Borges short story that he had uh, discussed that I had not. So we ended up coming. Yeah, well, you're still in my thunder. <laughs> we ended up coming out with uh, different conclusions. But my conclusion was really... Um, the tendency of detectives, in this case, Lonrot, to make to overthink things to the point where you're no longer getting to the truth, to overanalyze, to really make something out of nothing, but not in a good way, to like basically create a crime and really create a different crime scene. And in the end, he ends up really, it's his tendency to overthink and overanalyze and create something out of nothing that ends up allowing his nemesis to uh, set, him, set him up and uh, ultimately kill him, uh, which I'm sure we'll get to. But that was my impression, just like the tendency in a lot of these. Um, I'm not sure if Borges is maybe poking fun or, I mean, you know, he, he tends to be a very mystic type writer, but um, the tendency of detectives to really overthink things <laughs> and create something out of nothing or the tendency of detectives in, short stories and novels to do so because i'm sure in real life detectives are a lot uh hopefully a lot better at their jobs but what well, did you think so, i mean i don't think the story is in a, any way about a real life detective i mean i don't think it's a story about a real detective or a real crime yeah right yeah no, like i agree there's something very unrealistic about the whole scenario of uh, even at first, as it's presented to us as the detective is solving a crime and a divine mystery at the same time. And I guess, you know, spoilers. Um, so, you know, maybe read the short story before you uh, listen to the rest of this. But the, the ultimate reveal is that the divine mystery the detective is solving is actually a trap that's being set up for him by a criminal. Right? The criminal knows that the detective is sort of mystically inclined and so he sets up this elaborate, I, I would sort of like Da Vinci Code style mystery for the detective to solve, being, suge suggesting that the murders are related to the secret name of God, right? So in, in the Jewish tradition, according to the story, there are 99 names for God, and there's a hundredth secret name that, you know, there's power attached to it. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the crimes are set up in such a way that the detective begins to believe that there's a connection between the, uh, the mystery of the hundredth name of God, the secret name of God, and the, um, the murders that he, and the crimes that he's trying to solve. And, you know, his, um, his colleague, uh, uh, is telling him, you know, this is this is BS, and he's like, well, no, no, this is the murder of a rabbi, and look at all these books he has, and he gets into it, and he starts, he starts, and every time there's a murder, the words, you know, the first 
letter of the name of God has been revealed. The second letter has been so he goes on like this, and and the guy thinks he's on the point of uh, discovering some mystery, or or thinks that there is in fact someone trying to discover this mystery and, and committing crimes to do it. But what turns out to be the case is that the or, the original murder was a pure happenstance, and the fact that that um, that that was written at the original crime scene was just a pure happenstance. And then this this guy's nemesis uh, uses the original crime and uses the fact that this guy's on the case to create a scenario where there's this elaborate, uh, like I said before, Da Vinci style, Da Vinci Code style mystery. Except in, instead of using the Catholic tradition, it's using the Jewish mystical tradition, and the detective is is trying to get to the, the the bottom of it, and 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 he thinks he's seen through, right? Because well, there's a third murder, and at the scene of the third murder, um, the words um, the final letter has been revealed, right? That those the, those are written at the crime scene, but that doesn't. Uh, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, right? he creates something. That, that he really Lonrock goes ahead and he's so set in his way. He's so convinced that his train of method or his method of thought is correct that he it, it that it it doesn't mean anything to him. And uh, well, well, no, well, so so what he does is he like he sees through the the the, the mystery supposedly right. So the, the murders are arranged in the shape of a triangle. And he realizes, no, it's not a triangle. It's a rhombus. Um, and there's going to be a fourth murder. And he deduces where the fourth murder is going to be by, through his knowledge of this Jewish mystical tradition. Um, and when he goes to this very strange house, um, like this old abandoned uh, mansion with, that's full of curiosities and everything in there is symmetrical, and he gets there and he thinks he's going to prevent uh, a murder. And why he goes by himself is like completely beyond me. But I guess that's, we can maybe discuss why, uh, why that happens later. But he gets there and uh, his uh, nemesis, uh, Sherlock, um, is, there to, uh, is there to murder him, right? The fourth victim of the murder is him. And there's no reveal of the fourth letter of the name of God. It was an elaborate hoax, elaborate traps set by his nemesis to uh, to capture him. And so when I read that setup, I didn't think it was so much about this guy's tendency to overthink things. Because when you have uh, a detective trying to solve a murder by understanding Kabbalah mysteries, you're, you're, you're in a story that is no longer in the realist tradition, right? We're not dealing with realism anymore. So you could have a story about a divine detective, right? A, 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 like almost, uh, you know, a, like a much more highbrow Da Vinci code where the detective is using uh, mystical mysteries to solve crimes. Uh, and that's, that's kind of an interesting idea, right? Like that not only that the detective is using it to solve crime, but there's mystical mysteries out there to be understood and that have a real impact on the world. And so this, the fact that ultimately that all turned out to be uh, BS and humbug and a trap 
that made me think of the story I discussed with uh, um, our brother Juanpi, um, La Escritura del Dios, the, the writing of the God, uh, which in which there's um, an Aztec priest, or maybe he's mine, but I think he's Aztec, and he's, he's in a prison cell that's divided in two. And on the other side of the prison cell, there's a jaguar, and he becomes obsessed with reading the jaguar spots to reveal the sentence that was spoken at the beginning of creation by his God that will give him power and set him free. So very much like uh, uh, Scarlock or Sherlock, I, I, I can't remember exactly how that's written or pronounced at the top of my head, but whatever, very much like Lombrot's nemesis. Um, he's trying to unravel a divine mystery. And he does. He, in, in, in the case of La Escritura del Dios, there is a divine mystery to be unraveled, but the, just like the divine mystery or the pseudo-divine mystery in La Muerte y la Brujola, there's, it's a trap, right? So, so when, when the, this priest, Sinkan, uh, uh, he, he finally understands the mystery, he has this like overwhelming mystical experience where he loses all personal sense of self, right? So this is a, uh, this is a concept that is popular amongst people who study uh, like Eastern spirituality. And they say it's non-duality. And so he, he, he has what some people would describe as a non-dual experience where he realizes that he's not really different than uh, the Spaniard who is torturing him. And he realizes that, you know, how can he be concerned with the specifics of his particular life and a result of, of, of the, the, the cost of getting all that power, the cost of entering into the divine mystery is that you no longer want to use the power. And so he just lies there and rots away in prison, even though if he spoke the sentence out loud, he could be free and avenge himself and restore the glory of the Aztec Empire. So Interesting. the divine is a trap, right? Caring all about mysticism or spirituality in both of these stories, it's a huge trap, even when it's real. Like in one story, the, 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 the indigenous mysticism of the Aztec priest is real, right? There is a sentence that he discovers, and he has a real experience, and it gives him actual power. But the cost of that power is that you just lose all sense of self, and you, you have no desire to use the power. So he rots away in prison. So he's ultimately thwarted. It, it, it's... And the same thing with Lonrat, except in Lonrat's in case, the divine is fake. It's a hoax uh, perpetuated by your nemesis. And uh, right, you could call both of these stories kind of Gnostic stories, right? So, you, you, so the idea of Gnosticism is, is that uh, it's, uh, you know, was, they were... They were a, are her, you know, uh, what some people think they're a heretical group of Christians. And they're, they think that their basic understanding is that there's hidden knowledge and that the task of the spiritual seeker is to discover this hidden knowledge. Um, and uh, another concept from Gnosticism is that there's, there's two gods. There's the real God who's actually good and actually God. 
And then there's this sort of secondary trickster god or who's evil called the Demiurge. And, and in some ways, Scarlock is kind of like the Demiurge, right? He's setting up this divine mystery that's fake and a trap. And the whole point of, of Gnosticism is you, you see the Demiurge for what he is and you, you ascend to knowledge of the real God. But in Borges' conception, there's no real God there. It's all Demiurge, right? Because the sentence spoken by the Aztec priests or never spoken by the Aztec priests it doesn't confer real power, right? It's a trap. It, 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 once you once you know what the sentence is, you have no desire to speak it, and you lose all sense of self, and you rot away in prison, right? There's there's no there's no benefit to that knowledge, and similarly, the knowledge uh, that uh, Lonrod has leads to his death, right? It's 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 fake. It's a trap. It, 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 it ends in his annihilation with him being shot by his nemesis. So what I'm seeing here is I'm seeing a profound suspicion of spirituality. Whether it's portrayed as humbug or whether it's portrayed... I've been listening to A Christmas Carol, so that word is in my mind. But whether it's portrayed as, uh, as BS or whether it's portrayed as, uh, as real... Either way, it's, 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 not, it's a trap. It's not something you want to study. It's not something you want to explore. Very interesting. And that obviously was a pretty different take than when I gathered from it. I think uh, you haven't read the uh, La Escritura del Dios was kind of uh, a nice precursor to this. Because for me, believe it or not, I didn't think at first it was that far-fetched for a detective to say, oh, a rabbi has been killed here there's something you know cryptic or mystic written on his typewriter maybe we have to dig deeper here right but then so i thought initially okay that's maybe okay that that could be a first first step but then i thought he just ended up taking it so far and it was just like a very interesting story about his over analysis and overthinking and how it gets leads to his death and how his nemesis is able to use that against him but now that you know I, I think your deeper reading of it. Um, well, there, I mean, it's an interpretation of a story, right? There's no, yeah. I don't think there's a definitive truth about which one is better or correct. I mean, I, I do think maybe there's something there to the idea of how dangerous thinking is. Right. Yeah. There's, there's, you know, the, the, the sort of the falsity of uh, our mental constructs. I think there is something, something to that. So you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't immediately thinking, wow, like this is very unrealistic when Ron Rudd started trying to solve the murder using Kabbalah mysteries. Initially, no, I, I did eventually, because initially it's a rabbi who's killed, right? And, um, you know, there's, that's written on his typewriter and that's not something you would expect, you know, to, uh, to, to find, to find by accident, right? And so initially, his initial attempt to go look deeper into, you know, Jewish scripture um, to find, uh, you know, to find out what could have happened didn't strike me as that odd until it became very clear, like, I'll caveat that this was like the first one or two pages of it. But then after that, um, yeah, you realize, okay, he's, he's really digging himself into a hole here. 
Like he's, this is really far fetched. Like I think he called it the tetragamon or, or whatever. And he, he really started um, kind of overthinking and overanalyzing his, when he first recommends going or when he first starts kind of going through the Jewish, you know, scripture and, and, and taking that standpoint during the, you know, at the scene of the death of a rabbi, I didn't find that that far fetched until, you know, maybe, you know, half a page later, but. Well, there are, there, I mean, there are people like cults or people with weird spiritual beliefs who do sometimes commit crimes based on those beliefs. So I guess in a sense, it isn't that unrealistic. I mean, we don't, we don't actually know if Lonrod believes that there's anything to this hundredth name of God. Yeah. Um, but I, I, part of me thinks that he does think there's something to the hundredth name of God and he wants to know what it is because if he didn't, why would he go to the crime scene alone? So if you were convinced a fourth murder was going to happen, why would you get on the train by yourself and go by yourself to this house where someone is there to kill someone? Why wouldn't you show up with the cops, with the SWAT team, you know, everyone there at once, you know, you know, the, the commandos, the snipers, the whole thing. Not that there was necessarily that, you know, that police apparatus in the time setting of the story, but there is, you know, Nonetheless, in in irrationality, you would bring backup, but he goes by himself. And I personally, I I think that suggests that Lomrut is a believer, right? He thinks that there's going to be this hundredth name of God. Then if he goes without anyone else, he can find out what that is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that also struck me as odd as well, but then so did a lot of his overthinking and his methods they did strike me as odd as well and um uh but yeah that's that's a good point you know he shows up alone when if you know there's going to be a murder that's going to take place it's probably a good idea you know to bring backup with you um but instead he shows up alone and it makes you wonder if it, you know if scarlock kind of knew he would he was he he really knew the character of lonrot so well that you know, because if you think about it from a lens of like, you know, this may not be the best strategy for Scarlet because he, he's basically letting his location be known. He's letting the cops know, or I guess the detective know exactly where he's going to be and where to find him. And um, if Lonroth had, you know, pursued more conventional methods, as you said, he'd bring, you know, other police with him, he'd bring back up and, you know, he probably wouldn't have, uh, have died. But in that note, it's probably a good segue into this, you know, what did you think about the end, that kind of end dialogue with Lonroth and Scarlock? Because to me, it was surprising how Lonroth was kind of just accepted his fate. Like he, he wasn't worried about like being killed. He was more worried about like trying to poke holes in like the, um, not poke holes, but like critiquing the method that Scarlock had used. Like, Oh, it was too complex. You should have used something simpler. You should have used, you know, you should have used a different method and it goes on to correct him. This is, you know, at the point where it's pretty clear he's going to be killed. Um, and I was curious, you know, what your thoughts are on that because... Yeah, my thoughts are on that is I'm confused. So at the very end, 
before he shot, he's saying, next time you do this, instead of using this setup and this mystery, use this other mystery. And he, de- he describes Zeno as paradox. Yeah. Um, so to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. I, I, I don't like, I don't know exactly what, what that's there for, but in, in, in so far as it's about the search for divine knowledge being a trap, I do think that there's maybe something there with Zeno's paradox because the idea is that, you know, you have a distance to cover and you always cover half the distance and you get closer and closer and closer and closer to your destination, but you never get it because you never, you, right? As if There's never cover, not half of... There's never not yeah. half left, right? Of so, a distance you have left. Yeah. So, so in that sense, like I, I think there's a, maybe a commentary on spirituality or divine knowledge in that it's something that you can never arrive at, right? You're never going to get there. So so it's it's, to me, granted that I'm confused and I don't really understand what's going on, but to me, what I saw there was it's a, yet another commentary on the futility of spiritual knowledge, right? It is again a trap. You're on a journey that is appears to have a destination and appears to have a point at which you'll arrive, but in point of fact, you will never arrive. Yeah, and it's it's very interesting because I, you know, this is I guess for reference, these are like the last, you know, last few paragraphs or, or pages where where, um, where this takes place, but. You know, the, the, the third to last paragraph you hear, Lonrot evitó los ojos de Scarla, miró, al, miró los árboles y el cielo, subdividos en rombos turbiamente amarillos, verdes y rojos. Sintió un poco de frío y una tristeza impersonal, casi anónima. So, I, and I, I, I'm well, assuming most of our... That ties into the, the depersonalization uh, theme from La Escritura del Dios. But right. yeah, but you, you read that and you're expecting something, you know, deep, something very profound. You're expecting him to have, you know, maybe found, maybe make sense of this in his head. But instead, right after that, he goes into, um, well, you, you used your, your method of capturing me was imperfect. You should have used this method, you know, and it's just, it's just odd how Borges sets it up. Um, you know, he's, he's talking about, you know, not being able to make eye contact with him, looking at the trees, looking at the sky, you know, feeling cold. He's basically setting up what you think would be, you know, maybe a grand finale of sorts, maybe and accepting that he's been, you know, either like that he's going to be moving on and, or in life that he's going to be killed or something. And instead, he's trying to pull coals and, and the method's got like you saying, oh, no, you should have used this method. So it's just interesting how he sets it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think you kind of you kind of um, latch on something there with with noting how he's not that concerned about his death. Like he's not reacting like you'd expect. Like who the hell is about to get shot and starts talking about Zeno's paradox? Yeah, and feels impersonal sadness. 
right? Like what is going on there? And I, I do think that has to do again with the annihilation of his ego. Interesting. Right. right? Just like the ego of the Aztec priest is annihilated. Scarlock's, not Scarlock's, uh, Lonrot's turn to spirituality is um, annihilating his ego. And that's part of the trap. Right? He doesn't have an instinct for self-preservation anymore. Um, Which is interesting in this case, because unlike the other story, in this case, this is all fake. Like, it's all been, it's all a setup. Um, So so that's definitely something that's interesting. Because unlike the other story you were talking about, you know, it's actually real. Like, the the prisoner actually discovers, um, you know, that the... I haven't read the source of Remy, but the saying or the whatever he's supposed to read here, it's a setup here. It's very clearly something that's not real. And yet still he's, you know, still he's clearly very impacted by it. Yeah. He's, 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 he's affected to the point where he's not that concerned about its death, which maybe that's a commentary on Borges's, uh, opinion of spirituality right maybe that speaks to that because he's saying that it sucks you away from life it sucks you away from your own personality from your own ego and ultimately you lose yourself and for what for nothing yeah Hmm. no it's yeah it's just a a typical i guess it's typical of a lot of borges's short stories but they're very I guess uh, maybe this is not the right word, but mystical. They're very, um, there's a reason he's such a well-known author. Cause I really think he's very, very unique. Like there's not a lot of people who write like him or who can think of short stories like he does. And uh, it's, it's just, I was, you know, I having not read the previous story you read, you know, was expecting something completely different. But I think we both had the same reaction in the end about how just being so surprised about how, you know, this guy's, you know, about to be shot and killed. And he's thinking of, you know, Zeno of Alea and how that would have, you know, been a better method to trap him, you know, and um, how he should have used a straight line instead and had, you know, point A be eight kilometers from point B and point B be four kilometers from point C and point C. It, it, it just, it was, a, I'll be honest, it was a little confusing to me. I didn't know what to make of it at first. Discussing it with you here now, it's definitely giving me some interesting context, well, but I mean, you know. Confusing because it is confusing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's totally confusing, right? There's no, like, it, it's confusing because like Zeno's paradox is confusing. It's confusing because why is he talking? What I mean, as a character, why is he talking about Zeno's paradox moments before his death? Yeah, why is he begging for his life? You know why? Um, why aren't the police here? Like, well, like so? It, it, it's just you know, it's his life, but he's playing it like it's an intellectual game. Yeah, and I think that's kind of. Um... I kind of mentioned this like uh, just a few minutes ago, but really what makes uh, Borges so unique because to be honest, who the hell could think of writing something like this besides him? You know, like this is something that's just, it's his ability to kind of throw away convention, throw away norms and like 
kind of create, I guess, a parallel universe where I guess a lot of the conventions we do use aren't used, you know, and we're supposed to take that for granted. And we're, you know, okay, yeah, no, in this universe, he's just not going to bring backup in this universe. It's, it's normal to, um, think about, you know, overthink things in, in the spiritual realm to try to find the crime. It's normal to, you know, at the point of death, be thinking of, you know, ways in which your nemesis was clearly bested you ways that he could have done it better. You know, he could have, uh, created a better crime scene. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, what do you think about that? Can you say it? Can you say it in other words? I'm not fully grokking what you're saying. No, I just, I think what makes Borges as an author, um, so unique and what, cause you know, a, a lot of our listeners, you know, they're, they're probably don't speak Spanish or whatever, but you know, what makes Borges such an incredible author and what makes him such a well-known author is I think his ability to do just this, right? He throws away convention and creates like another universe in which, okay, you know what the convention is? You don't bring back up. The convention is when you're at the point of death, you think about this, you know what the convention is? It's okay to bring in all the spiritual aspects into your investigation. And that's, you know, normal would go in question. In fact, you know, the newspapers would cover it. And, uh, you know, um, I don't know. I've always personally found Borges's writing to require, I mean, there's a lot of room for interpretation and it's very open-ended and, uh, very confusing to say the least, I guess, but not in a way where you don't enjoy reading it, but in a way that requires you to think a little and just kind of get your thoughts out of your, um, you know, our, our normal conventions here. Right. Right. And you know, it could be, uh, Right, it could be it could be off putting to some readers because it's kind of heady stuff, right? It's it's not, you know this this one is, uh, you know it's it's beautifully written. I don't know how it holds up in English, but it, it's beautifully written. But there is something, I would say, inhuman about it. Yeah, right. They're they're not stories about people that I can relate to personally. And I don't think anyone, I really don't think anyone could. Yeah, though, I, I, you know, I have to say, like, the, not so much this story, but La Escritura del Dios, if you, if you listen to people read that story over and over again, like, it is, like, I don't want to, like, it's almost like reading a religious text, right? It has this sort of, like, beautiful, poetic quality, and it seems to have sort of hidden meaning there right like you can you can just you can you can take it as something more than a story it's almost like a poem um whereas i and it's a much shorter story i mean that story is only 14 paragraphs and this one is more so in the spectrum between prose and poetry this one's much more much closer to prose whereas the La Escritura del Dios has some beautiful poetic qualities that this one doesn't. Um, though, you know, I, I do think, you know, it is, it is, I haven't, in, in, I haven't spent time 
listening to this one in audio format because it is a longer story. I didn't, you know, I haven't listened to it several times, but it, it, it does. It is, I guess, uh, poetic in its own right. I think, you know, uh, that probably not as poetic as maybe the story you read before, just given the length here. But I feel like with all of Borges's work, he, he really is, Kind of reminds me of, um, you know, in English when you read Tolkien or something, you know, sometimes you read Tolkien, you're like, wow, this is like an epic work. This is poetry, right? And I, uh, but to be honest, while I was reading this, I, I, um, I, that did kind of creep into my head. Um, that, you know, this was, there was definitely something poetic about it. Um, just about the way he wrote it. it and again, it's, it's longer than the story um, Francisco and Humpy covered in another podcast, but it's really not that long in and of itself. You know, it's, no, it's, it, it's not. It's not a very long story. Yeah, um, though it is. It is. It is. Uh, now I'm wondering if uh, I know. I know. Pe- I know people like to sneer at at the Da Vinci Code, and I actually, I actually haven't read it. Uh, I mean, I like I started to read it and I never finished it. I did see the movie. But now I'm kind. I am kind of wondering if if Dan Brown was a reader of Borges. Um, now you know the, I'm not comparing Dan Brown to, to to Borges in terms of literary stature. It is. It just. It is. It is kind of. It's. It's funny. The. I mean, the only difference between the setup is that in Dan Brown's version, the divine mystery to be revealed isn't bullshit. It, right. It is. It is real. Like there is a there there, but in Borges, even when there is a there there, it's not something you want to discover. So definitely in in, in La Muerte y la Brujula, there's uh, right, there's no there there, right? It's all it's all BS. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I mean, it is an interesting title, like, Death and the Compass. I wonder what, I wonder, I, I'm not 100% sure what to make of that. I mean, I mean, death is obvious because he dies at the end, but why compass? Yeah, to me it was, uh, I guess, the, the, the way I interpreted it was just because in the end it is ultimately like distance that allows him to uh, discover where the fourth well, well, he'll be killed, but what he thinks the fourth murder will occur. And it ends up being, you know, in the South because he sees there's an equilateral triangle. And so that's where I I brought the compass into here. You know, he's like, oh, well, it has to be in the South because, you know, there's an equilateral triangle and he notices that nothing's occurred in the South. And that's where the rhombus is going to be completed. He's being guided towards towards his death. And the compass, so to speak, is is guiding him, right? His his stuff these divine mysteries, these Jewish mystery, mystical. Yeah. Mystery. And that's, it's, that's kind of my interpretation of how, why, why it was entitled that, but. And it points toward death. I think that's, that's the best interpretation, but you know, I, I look, I would just encourage anyone listening. I mean, if you listened without reading the story, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but at this point it's too late. Um, but don't well, let thoughts in fairness, together. all of our podcasts, you know, we're there's going to be several listeners who um, uh, listen without reading. I think they're just interested to hear what we have to say. And 
Um, I, I think you know, true. another. You know what? I, another I, thing I, to note is um, in, a lot of our listeners won't won't read Spanish. You know, so we're we're in a way kind of yeah, providing an entryway. It's well translated. Yeah, I mean, I have to buy a translation. Whereas a lot of the Spanish versions are free, but it's not as if. I, I sort of I don't know if there's any untranslated short stories by Borges, but I sort of doubt it. Um, but okay. to be honest, to be honest with you, what I think is going to start happening is that I think uh, to the extent that we cover literary classics, I think what's going to happen is like high school students are going to listen to the podcast, so <laughs> they can go to class without doing the reading, or maybe college students. Um, I think that's a possibility. Um, but I wouldn't recommend it because I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I make no guarantees. There are no representation representations or warranties as to the, uh, the accuracy or, uh, insight of any of my interpretations or summaries. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the way I look at it is hopefully our podcasts encourage listeners who haven't read the story to go ahead and read it, you know, so. Well, I mean, that's sort of the mission is to like get people to like, you know, we, we live in this distracted age where our attention spans have been uh, destroyed by, uh, you know, computers and social media and, and I, I mean, whatever, like the whole, the, the whole discourse about, about social media and the internet is, is so spent at this point that it's, it's basically a cliche. Right. That can be the topic for another uh, podcast if you want. I'm sure there's plenty of books on that. <laughs> well, no, yeah, it's 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 I, it's one of those things that's like it's it, so many people say it that it's not interesting to say it anymore. But it's also to me obviously true. Yeah, um, I would agree. But what do we have? Um, so what, what I, I guess what I was trying to say is that don't let, you know, my particular interpretation that it's about the futility of pursuing divine knowledge or the, the futility of pursuing spiritual knowledge or futility of spirituality in general, right? You know, you should decide for yourself what it means, because I think with Borges, there's always... There's always another layer. There's always another interpretation. I, I don't think you can. Uh, I, I don't think that there. I don't think that they are stories that can be exhausted. Yeah, and I think that's intentional too. I just think that's his style. I think that's how he writes. So, um, I, I I would completely agree with that. There's no there's no way you could draw. <laughs> read the story and draw one conclusion and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. That's what it's about. You know, it really does kind of cause you to think, I mean, look, it's not even that long of a story and we've been able to talk 40 minutes about it. So, um, I, and I'd say that rings true with a lot of Borges' work. Well, we'll see. Cause you know, we're, we're going to keep, uh, covering his short stories on the pod, but I, I do think that is, uh, that's enough for today. Um, Buy a translation, learn to read Spanish. Yeah, better yet, learn to read Spanish. Like it's yeah. like, like learning to speak Spanish well is hard if you didn't grow up with it, but learning to read Spanish is actually kind of easy. Well, I think we're a little biased. 
Okay. No, I, I, mean, I don't know. I feel like reading languages and like speaking them well, it's two different skills. And, and I think you can enjoy, if you're reasonably smart, you can learn to read a second language and enjoy literature or be able to read well in that language without being a very skilled speaker of the language. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, grad students do that all the time. Like they, they, they develop a reading knowledge of, you know, French or German or whatever, because they, you know, they need to for their specialty. But I guess, I guess that's, I guess that's not really realistic, but if you are the kind yeah, of, they, they have a lot of who, who, who has the time to do the time or inclination to do that. Um, I like, I honestly think it might be worth learning to read Spanish just to read Borges. That said, I haven't, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what the stories would do for me in translation. I mean, maybe, maybe, I mean, because there, there's such an abstract and heady intellectual quality to it. Even though the prose is beautiful, at some level, it's not really about the prose. 